Welcome to The Sober Effect, a show that looks at the positives of sobriety, the dangers of alcohol, and the many people who are affected by it. I'm Kate. And I'm Steph. The ripple effect of alcohol is far-reaching, and those are the stories you'll hear on The Sober Effect. Hello, Kate. How you doing? I am good. How are you? Just back from a trip, are you? I am. I went to Arizona with my family for five days. Never been, and it was amazing. The weather was perfect, like dead perfect. So feel refreshed for sure. It is beautiful. Actually, I just posted on Instagram about the worst hangover of my life was in Arizona in a place called Flagstaff. Oh, And I was in this youth hostel and every morning I checked out, I was meant to stay there for one night, but the Amtrak train only came through at like 10 o'clock at night and there was one a day. So by the time it got to 10 o'clock, I was wasted in the bar and they'd convinced me to stay again. So I'd spend another night and I did this again and again and stayed for about 10 days. I drank constantly and I never got to see like Sedona, which is where I I went once in that 10 days. I just drank and I I thought I was going to die. I had the type of hangover where I couldn't lift my head off the pillow and I was in in bed for two days. Whenever anyone says Arizona, I remember that awful time. And actually I Googled the youth hostel when I was writing this post and it made me feel physically sick looking at it because it just reminded me of what a waste of an amazing journey. And actually people have said you should go back. You should. Did you do hiking then? What did you do? We did. Yeah, it's funny you said that because we climbed Camelback Mountain, which is no joke. I think if I would have (laughs) known what I was getting myself into... I would have maybe chickened out or had second thoughts, but I'm glad I didn't because it's it was legit mountain climbing and like finding a spot for your hand and your foot. And like, yeah, it was insane. And did you have ropes on and stuff? No. Or was it just and that's at, scary? It was scary. And actually, the only thing that kept me from freaking out was I had to focus on where my next step and where my next like place I was going to put my hand or my foot as long as I just focused on one little bit at a time yeah and then you get to flat spot and then you take a breather but if I would look up that mountain at how much was left or how complicated it was ahead of me it would freak me out so I'm like nope and how relatable is that to sobriety in itself right people talk about one day at a time or whatever it is about just don't focus on what's ahead. Focus on like what's right in front of you at that moment. Yeah. Get through that little bit of a challenge. Break it into little bite-sized pieces. And that's what I did. But I couldn't help but thinking because, you know, just like you, all my vacations of past involved major hangovers and never really experiencing the city that I was in, just experiencing the bars. You know, that's all I cared about was the bar scene. I would have never hiked a mountain. And it was such a fun experience with my husband and my daughter. And it's a memory that I am still like, it's been three days since we've been home. And I'm just like, I still keep thinking about it. And I'm like, I tell Blake and Adeline, I cannot believe we did that. Like, it feels like a dream. Like, what a cool memory and what a cool thing to conquer together. And when most people say they climbed a mountain, I think of like a nice winding, meandering path. But you literally climbed it. No, we literally climbed it. I'm really impressed. And actually, this is really good because today... We're talking about consciousness Mm -hmm. and I can't even say it, consciousness, but I don't really know anything about this. And this is something you're really into, but what you've just said about focusing Mm -hmm. and actually being able to kind of whip your mind into a different state and say, no, come on, pull it in, pull all these thoughts in, you know, that's sort of what it is, isn't it? Consciousness is just the awareness of your thoughts. 
and not identifying with those thoughts or believing that you are those things. And that's what we do when we're drinkers. We believe we're drinkers, so we don't think we could ever stop. But that's how that all ties in to sobriety. And for me, consciousness has been a huge part of my sobriety because it is me separating that I'm a drinker. I'll always be a drinker. It was that inner part of me, my consciousness waking up to those thoughts and challenging them and realizing I don't have to believe every thought that comes in my head because every thought that comes in my head isn't necessarily from me. It's from conditioning. It's from society. It's from my upbringing. It's from the media. Those things get all wound up in there, and we have a choice whether we're going to believe it or not. Just because it popped in our head doesn't mean it's true. For me, that's what consciousness is, is that separating yourself and analyzing these thoughts so that you can create things in your life that are in alignment with you. There's so many things since breaking free from that narrative that I'm a drinker, that's just what I'm going to do, that's how I heal my anxiety, that's how I do all this thing. Once I broke free from that, it was like, what's next? What other things have I let society get in my head and weave into my brain and make me think that's true? And I've discovered so much. I mean, homeschooling is just another example. I never would have done that with my daughter because I just believed you go to school. It's what you're supposed to do. And then how I challenged us, well, why is that what you're supposed to do? You know, that's when you start digging in. And I'm like, well, I don't really believe she has to go to public school. Like she learns differently. So it's just yeah. dissecting it all. That That's exactly what I think about it as well, Steph. Is it? I'm joking. I have no idea what it means. <laughs> Let's talk to Duncan because you guys are on the same kind of wavelength. You're really into this and I'm definitely going to become more into it because just listening to you then, I was in like a trance, like that makes so much sense. So let's meet Duncan. We're going to dive into consciousness today, which just the word itself seems so big and vast because it is. And the whole thing with the podcast is about the effects that alcohol and sobriety have. And obviously, alcohol and sobriety have a huge effect on our consciousness. And we have Duncan with us today, who is really diving deep into consciousness in his sobriety. Duncan, welcome. Where do you want to start with consciousness? Do you want to start with maybe where it started for you? Like what provoked you to investigate this? So consciousness, it's a huge topic. As you start to ask me about it, I tend to think I know nothing about it at mm-hmm. all because the more I learn, the more I realize there is to learn. It's definitely not something that I discovered whilst drinking because I think I was unconscious <laughs> in many levels. I think consciousness has lots of levels to it. Kate quipped the other day, that, oh, you know, consciousness means I'm awake. Yeah, it's exactly right. But which bit of you is awake and how awake are you? It's very hard to know how to start talking about this. I think I might say, let there be light. Because for me, consciousness is about turning a light on. It's about revealing. It's about awareness. It's about information. It's about being equipped, empowered, which all results in different choices, which hopefully, if those choices are good, result in freedom. And there's my interest. So are we not conscious when we're drinking? Because I think when I look back at my drinking, I was either thinking about drinking, drinking, recovering from drinking or asleep. So I think my focus was on that. But being conscious is, is it really just about what you're thinking about and what you're getting from life and what you're taking from life? 
and the kind of the stream of your thoughts. Is that kind of what it is when people say it? Because I don't know anything about this. I've never had a conversation about this before, which is why I was looking forward to this. But is that kind of what we're talking about? The way you view things and how aware you are of, of what's around you? You used a couple of words there, which I think should be separated. So you used the word thinking and you used the word awareness. Now, I don't think they're the same. And I think therein lies the answer to that insightful question. So thinking is a processing mechanism. We've got some IT on board, haven't we? We've got an incredible brain. It thinks a lot. It thinks for us. It's a tool that we use, we have, it's in our toolbox. Who is us? Us is the thing using the thinking. I'm going to call it me, or I'm going to call it I am, or I'm going to call it awareness. So awareness is seeing it, thinking is processing around it. So before, when we were drinking, there was very little of me, I'm not going to speak for all of us, that was conscious. And I was thinking, and but thinking so focused about drinking, most likely. But if I said to you, Kate, are you aware of that door behind you? Up until the moment I asked you that question, you were not aware of it. Now you're aware of it. So there are aspects in our lives like that door, aspects of our personality, of our makeup. You know, I've been on this world 61 years. In that 61 years, I picked up a lot of information I've stored it away. I have a running database. I have lots of little sub software processing running beneath subconsciously, automatedly. And I'm not aware of that. I'm not conscious of that, but they're all happening. Some of them are not good. Some of them ought to be weeded out. But unless I can shine the light of consciousness upon them, then I have no chance of weeding them out. I actually want to be more I think insightful. I want to follow a path where I feel like things make sense and I'm curious rather than ticking a checkbox of what you know you have to do in life. And for me, that's where I'm much more interested. So maybe if we talk about the way that your brain changes and the way you view things and and the interest you have in things when you get sober, that would be a good way to kind of delve into this. I think the first time many of us come across this mechanism is we all have to do battle with the alcohol voice. People call it the wine witch. Some people call it wolfie. That's the first time we come across it. Mm -hmm. That is when we start to do battle with our thoughts. That's when awareness starts to oppose thoughts and we start to split them apart. Because up until that moment, we are lost unconscious in our thoughts. Unconscious is, and that means the bit of us that should be aware, that should be awake, alert, managing thoughts is actually pushed to one side and thoughts run the show. Does alcohol change like the chemistry of your brain? Does it actually stop allowing you to kind of go down certain paths, do you think? Alcohol just shuts everything down, doesn't it? It's it's a sedative that it just puts you to sleep. I think it's a good way to start, you know, you saying, oh, either I'm awake or I'm asleep. But yes, when we're asleep, it's a good way to think of it because we're still completely alive, but aware of nothing. What we've done when we sleep is we hand all the reins of life over to our automated functions because we trust those that we're going to breathe, blood's going to pump round, and we're going to be fine. But we're not here, are we? We are unconscious. We are away. We are not aware. But thought, thought is still happening, I suppose. You know, we dream, don't we? Duncan and I both have read 
And this is good for the listeners even to know Eckhart Tolle's Power of Now. And I've also read New Earth. And it's all about like, if you ever want to dive deep into consciousness and what Duncan was talking about, there's the thinking part of you. And then there's that part of you that's observing the thoughts. And that is kind of where I feel like my power lies. Because when I can actually observe and become aware of my thoughts instead of just getting lost in them and believing them to be true and following them like I did when I was a drinker, you know, there was a lot of negative thoughts. And it was always, I believed those thoughts. And then as the alcohol left my body, I felt this awakening to the two parts this awakening to that consciousness part of me that now is aware that my thoughts aren't always the truth. They're not always there to help me. Sometimes they're there to scare me or, you know, to like stress me out or to make me worry. And so for me, being conscious of that is really helpful because I can dissect those thoughts. Like a lot of times, maybe I will have a running narrative about, you know, thinking someone else's thoughts for them. Like maybe I'm like worried someone's thinking something about me or maybe they're saying something about me and I can challenge that, right? So there's like two parts of you really is what I think, Duncan, you were trying to like describe. So I can challenge those thoughts. I'm like, who told you that? And then I can quiet those. When I was a drinker, I ran with it. That was true. All of it was true. Everything I thought was true. It was all truth to me. So I definitely think and like alcohol had a huge effect on that inner dialogue that goes on in my brain. I think also, wouldn't you agree that you didn't believe those thoughts? You thought you were those thoughts. Exactly. Yes. So I am a drinker. Yeah. Hey, it's just what I do. It's who I am. Yep. Oh, you know, I drink at this time of day. I drink this yep. stuff. It's what I do. It's who I am. No, that is some program within my brain that is trying to be helpful. has got it so wrong. And I bought into it. I've lent myself to these thoughts. I've got lost in the thoughts. I now think I am the thoughts. I then act those thoughts out and I become a self-fulfilling prophecy. I am that drinker until the day that I realized, no, that alcohol voice, that's just some part of my brain that's trying to help me. It thinks it's a solution. But as Steph quite rightly pointed out, our brains get it wrong. Because our brains just absorb everything. It has no capacity to discern right from wrong. It just absorbs info. And then it recycles it out as best it can. Very often, really well, really useful. But also, really often, completely, hopelessly, diabolically wrong. Like, I need a drink to relax. And you learn to answer it differently. Like, that's yeah. one thing that I learned in sobriety. I had to start mothering that voice. That would say, well, okay, if we're uncomfortable right now, wouldn't it be nice to have a drink? And instead of going with it, because I thought that's just, well, I know best. That's what I need to do. I started challenging it. No, we don't drink anymore. Like literally, like this was the thoughts going on in my head. There was this other voice that would come in and it was stronger and it was more dominant. And it would say, no, we don't drink anymore. So what else can we do? And I swear, like having that realization that I do have control over these thoughts and I do have the ability to sort through them and decide which ones are for the good and which ones are for the bad. It was so empowering. And I know that's how I was able to really stick with the sobriety and anything that comes up to this day, that's a challenge. And I feel myself getting really negative or having, you know, a lot of times I like to project scenarios that are going to be really bad in the future. And to be able to catch myself doing that is a huge help. 
Because when I do that, my body doesn't know the difference. My body feels the stress as if it really is happening. And I'm putting my body through stress for something that never happens. Like, I can't tell you the last time I like thought of a really bad scenario and that's actually what happened, you know? So it's like, I'm learning to tell myself like, that's not going on right now. Like, why are you even thinking that? So do we, so, Duncan, do we become more conscious when we're not drinking, do you think? And do you also think that we crave that consciousness when we're in the kind of depths of despair and we're laying there in bed in our clothes in the morning and we're feeling like crap and we're hating ourselves and we're going, I don't know what's up, what's down. I don't know what I think anymore. I can't differentiate between all these millions of things going through my head I feel really scared. I don't feel like I can take a step forward. I just want things to be more simple and to make sense. I want the jigsaw pieces to all be from the same puzzle so that I have some chance of putting this picture together. Is that us craving consciousness, do you think? No, that is us well and truly unconscious. That is just unconscious. That is your thoughts, your incredible brain, just stampeding a whole load of chaotic stuff all over you, up and down, round about, you know, all those jigsaw pieces jumbled up and the brain is saying to you things like, you've got to assemble them all, like now, like now, or you're going to die, or it's going to be terrible, or it's going to run so many doomsday scenarios at you. But that's your brain freaking out like some crazy, well-meaning child. But that's not you. That is your software running amok, unmanaged. Behind that is your presence, is your awareness, is the real us. And, you know, the real us is peaceful. It's our state of being. We are peaceful. We are loving. We are we're at rest. That is who we are before we envelop these thoughts, before we put them on like a onesie and then we operate out of this craziness. But if we learn that those thoughts are just crazy AI and that we can just push it to one side, then peaceful you can step forward and you go, I mean, I do it with meditation. Meditation, I will sit, I will just breathe. I would just breathe. And as I concentrate on my breathing, I take my focus, I take my awareness away from my thoughts and I become peaceful because the peaceful me steps forward. I don't know what the thoughts are still doing because I'm not paying attention to them, but I become peaceful regardless of the thoughts. The thoughts are clamoring at the window. Let me in, let me in, let me in. I go, no, no, it's, it's not time for thinking right now. Right time. Now it's time for being. I'm taking a break, guys, because all your jigsaw puzzles, you know, they're a bit overwhelming. <laughs> Do you know what? That makes the most sense to me of everything we've spoken about so far, because I can visualize it. I'm a very visual person and I struggle. And I said to Steph in a chat we had yesterday that when I sit and I try and think, I'm going to really just think and I'm just going to sit here and, and I've tried to meditate and I've struggled. And when I do, I find it very hard to think. It's almost like deciding that I want to sit peacefully. My body automatically starts saying, what are you doing? You're not doing anything. Oh, you can't think about things. You can't get deeper. You can't even relax. Look at that lamp. Look at that tree. I wonder if the heating's going to come on. It's very hard to quieten those thoughts in your mind if you're not trained in it. It sounds to me like it takes practice to do something like that. Is that accurate? What's on? We refer to meditation as a practice and it is a practice and you have to practice it. And like anything, The more you do it, the better you get at it, the quicker you get to where you want to be. When you actually learn to step away from your thought, first time you go, oh, 
oh my gosh, oh, I can do this. That works. Now I know. I mean, that's how it starts out. It's really hard. I still struggle to this day. I think anyone who meditates, even if they've been doing it for years, will tell you there's days where it's just a struggle, where those thoughts are just there, but you start to learn to just acknowledge them. Okay, I know you're there. We'll come back to you later. Right now, this is what we're doing. And then even if you can just get a few seconds of like, counting your breaths. Like it's not about having no thoughts at all. It's about focusing on your body and your inner self is the way I look at it. Because if I focus on having no thoughts at all, it's going to just go right down the toilet. But if I'm like, okay, we're just going to focus on our breath and I count my breaths, then all those thoughts, they're there, but they're in the background and I'm not focusing on them anymore. I'm focusing on my breath and counting that or whatever it is that I need to do. And I might only get a few seconds, but every time you do it, you get better and better. And the best thing to do too is to just, when you notice your mind is shifting to your thoughts, don't get mad, don't get frustrated. Just go, oh, oh, oh. Like like a little kid that's running off. Oh, no, 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 no. Come yeah. back, come back, come back. And be very gentle about it. No, come back. This is what we're doing. We're going to count our breaths. Because I used to get really frustrated and mad. Like, I can't do this. Oh, my gosh. I just keep thinking of this. And then I had a like a guided meditation one time. Like, right when it happened, it was so divine. They're like, if you notice yourself falling into your thoughts, just gently guide yourself back. And I'm like, okay, Yeah. So it's just being very kind and gentle and reeling yourself back in and, yeah, practicing. It's learning to manage our thoughts. We've all been doing it since day one of sobriety, and we get better and better at it, don't we? We don't have to fight that voice so much anymore, do we? Because we've learned how to manage that voice. We recognize it for what it is. We manage it. But the great thing about awareness, consciousness, is that it's a transportable skill. And there are other voices in our heads that tell us we can't do or we must do and we can start managing those too that's why it's so exciting because it's more than sobriety sobriety is where we learn these skills and then we transplant them across the board to everything else that we are trying to manage from relationships to jobs to our own body image or mind image or our parental skills or it's all transportable because it's about managing our thoughts and we very often are our thoughts so if we can manage them, our th- we, we take our thoughts everywhere. That's what makes us top animal on this planet, isn't it? I think of our thoughts like a chainsaw, you know, really useful, really powerful tool. But if you're not the boss of the chainsaw, it will have your leg off. And our thoughts are the same. Learn to wield them. And then, well, the sky's the limit. I drank for a good reason. I drank because it did something. I was attending to stuff with drink. It was, pardon the pun, a solution. It was a problem-fixing mechanism. So when I take that away, I still have those problems. And how I deal with those problems is very much connected with awareness. So that's the big difference in sobriety. I take away my crutch, my alcohol, how I cope with life, my coping mechanism. I'm left with things I need to cope with. But with my awareness, I see them. Before, I wasn't even seeing them. I was just on an automated conveyor belt where I just drank. The moment I got a twinge of a certain emotion, didn't even know what it was. Boom, we sedate that. I had no idea what my problems were. Take alcohol away, suddenly all my feelings come back. Suddenly I become very aware, they're very uncomfortable. And it's my opportunity, being awake, being conscious, having the light shone on these things for me to fix them properly rather than Mm. just cover them with a a fix it. It's just going to bring a whole load more trauma with it, a light of awareness. We've heard this a million times. 
you can't fix a problem that you don't know you have. You can't fix a problem you can't see. The first step in fixing a problem is being aware you have a problem. It's all about turning the light on, being aware, opening your eyes, which we couldn't do when we were sedated in a fog of alcohol. We, we had no motivation. We were just we were just going down the plug hole, you know, a vicious circle of, oh, whoa, 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 is poor me. Oh, I feel so mm. shy. I don't like this. Oh, it's getting worse. Oh, now look what's happened. Oh, it's just got worse. Of course, that's what happens to me. Down, 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 down I go. I've only got one recourse, that is more drink. But that's a vicious downward circle. Sobriety is the start of a very positive upper circle of which awareness is key. Yeah, and I've always heard people say, if you want to find out why you drink, quit drinking. And it's true because mm. you, like you just described, you get so good at routine with drinking that it gets to the point where, like you said, even that little tinge doesn't even get a chance to come about because you're already way ahead of it because like you're there. You've set up a daily routine or whatever it was with your drinking. Maybe it's around the weekend. Maybe it's around whatever, but it's all around feelings or whatever it is you're trying to drown out. And it gets to the point where you're not even aware anymore. It's just automatic. And so, when, like you said, when you strip that down and take it away... That's when you start figuring out, oh, okay, I drink when I have to do A, B, and C because I don't like doing that or it's making me really uncomfortable right now. And then, yeah, the awakening and the awareness starts happening and you've got a clear head so you can like attack mm -hmm. these things like from a logical place instead of a place yeah. of depression and sadness and poor me and I'll never be able to, you know, do this. What's it matter? Like those are the narratives when alcohol is there. And then when it's gone, there's this new confidence that comes about. So are there tools that you can use? If you say, if someone's listening to this and they say, I really want to be more conscious, I want to start thinking this way, I want to be more aware of what, what are feelings, what are problems, what is overthinking, what is unnecessary worry? Are there tools, because I'd like to know this, that we can use in our daily lives to start us off on that path of being able to understand all of this stuff that's going on inside us, inside our heads, more clearly. Steph mentioned Urquhart Tolle, The Power of Now and This New Earth. He, for me, explains it so brilliantly well. I would start there. I would read both those books. I prefer the second one, but I don't think I enjoyed it so much without the first one. But after that, the tools are, we're into therapy, right? We're into every kind of therapy you can imagine. Anything that helps you delve within yourself, because that's where the problems are. The problems aren't out there. We like mm -hmm. to blame out there. The problems are all in here. Our problems are our reaction to stuff. And, and so we need to go in. All the therapies are, are there. Those are the tools. Those are the books. They're the therapists. They're the friends. They're the sober Instagram podcasts. In this talk, there's a few ideas that you might be able to use to explore. Oh, does that seem relevant to me? There you go. You're starting to use a tool already. You're quite a deep thinker, and so are you, Steph, but we're not all like that. And you say there are lots of different therapies out there, but what if people don't know what those are? I mean, what if they say, well, I didn't even know that you would consider talking to someone a therapy? Or if you're literally sitting there and going, I know that I'm jumbling things up in my head and I want to think clearer and I want to be my own biggest support, but I'm struggling to know how to move forward. And, you know, I might be here with a husband who drinks, all my friends drink, I'm doing sobriety on my own. I have no money to pay for any therapy. I can't buy endless books. I've got three children. I don't have time. All these kinds of things. It would be nice to kind of say, well, here are some steps. Here are some 
things that you can do, some practices you can do that will help you to understand the potential of what we're talking about? Or am I way off? I know exactly what you mean, I think. So you put me in mind of my early sobriety because I loved Instagram. I came across Sober Instagram. And what I learned in the early days is that it didn't matter what I heard, what I read, where it came from, so long as it was something positive about sobriety, something powerful, life-building, affirming, anything. You know, we're talking little threads, little tiny twigs. We're not talking about big stuff because none of this happens overnight. This is slow increment. This is gently sowing seed. This is gently watering it. This is being patient. This is just count the pennies and the pounds look after themselves. It's centimeter by millimeter, one day at a time, one moment at a time, we edge forward. So I would say the tools are anything you can grab your fingernails to, bring it in. You know, Eckhart Tolle, I heard that book mentioned, Power of Now, go and buy it, read it. Do what he says in the book. Practice that. Stay on Instagram, stay on podcasts, anything that affirms your decision to stay sober, anything that looks like it aligns with this direction of life. You see somebody who's sober, make friends with them organize a tea with them, you know, everything and anything that has got anything to do with freedom on it, sober on it, bank it, bring it in, reel it in, make friends with it, cozy up. And what you find is as the days and the weeks, the months churn forward, you develop more understanding of what the menu is, you figure out what you like, what's more beneficial to you, and you pursue those a little bit more. I love everything you say there. And it makes me feel excited about yeah. the future. Once we get sober, there are some key things that really stand out. And that excitement for life, once you've done this big thing, you want to make more change because it's like, this is making such a difference. I had no idea how beautiful life without alcohol was. And it's almost like you get this kind of passion for improving and simplifying. And, and exactly as you said, Duncan, anything about freedom or things that align with who you want to be, it finally feels possible where it never did before because it didn't matter how high I tried to climb out of that hole. As soon as I took a sip, I was straight back at the bottom. I tend to think life is full of closed circles within our existence, lots of cyclical behavior, lots of cycles. And it's about breaking the cycle. It doesn't really matter where you break it, but it'll stall the process. I'm thinking of World War II, you know, you've got the big armies, but then behind the scenes, you've got the saboteurs. You've got those little tiny people interrupting supply lines, you know, breaking the cycle, breaking the circle. We very often fight this battle there, not as big armies making big changes. We undermine alcohol. We break the cycles, the addiction cycles anywhere. It doesn't matter where, just break it. Keep breaking them. Each time you break a cycle, you buy yourself an air pocket. You take a breath and then you've got to, you can go on and do the next one. And then suddenly you've got two breaths and then three and four. And then before you know it, the whole thing's becoming much more manageable. And then a little bit further down the line, you're so recovered from that awful alcohol shit that you were trapped in that you now go, hmm, what, what can I turn this to next? You know, because we're complicated creatures and we've got other things to, that we dragged in from our youth, from our misspent past that we need to overhaul. This is life. We're talking about life unfolding and not like some remote David Attenborough program. It's our life. Well, I'm like, this is me. Right, I'm right in the middle of this story. This is my life unfolding and your life unfolding. And we recognize it in each other. It's the same life and it's brilliant. We yeah. know how brilliant it is. And the thought of dry January with all those people, you know, I picture all those little tiny little turtles. Have you ever seen that when they've yeah. just been born? 
running, yeah, the running. sea turtles. That's fucking dry January right there. <laughs> All those brilliant people. And you're going, come on, little turtles. You can do it. You can do it because it's so cool. You know, a few get picked off, you know, a few don't make it, but so many do. They are headed in this direction. Life. We're watching life unfold in our, in our under our very noses, in our midst, in us and in those around us. It's super exciting. I mean, what could be more exciting, to be honest? They talk about like quitting drinking, you know, it takes a lot of willpower and da 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 da. And I mean, if you think about it, though, it takes a lot of willpower to continue drinking because like you already know what you're doing is bad and you're like overriding that and you continue like that to me is like willpower in itself. So if you can just take that energy, because for me, that's what I needed to do. Like, when I believe something, I believe it wholeheartedly and I go all in. And I used to be that way with alcohol. Like I just believed that's what I needed to do. It helped my anxiety. I was all in. And then when I was able to shift and see that alcohol is not good for me, it was like that mind shift worked for me because now I'm pushing it away. I want nothing to do with that. So it had nothing to do with willpower for me in a sense. Like I'm a strong person, no matter what. And, and it's like, I'm embracing that. I'm strong enough to do whatever it is I want to set my mind to. I just have to set my mind to it and believe in myself. That's consciousness raising its head again, because when we were trapped in drinking, we would say and think, I'm too weak. I can't. Oh, I can't go a day. I can't do this. Mm-hmm. But consciousness, when the light of consciousness comes on, you realize, no, no, actually, oh my gosh, it took so much power to become an addict because I had to push against so much stuff. Actually, I am powerful. I can do this. I can do this. In the, I got myself in. I can get myself out, you know. Yeah, if I can get through some of those hangovers and the anxiety attacks that I knowingly was putting myself through, then sobriety shouldn't even be a huge challenge. And I think that's why, like, I'm not saying it wasn't hard, but I'll tell you what, it's been a hell of a lot easier getting up in the morning and feeling good than it was getting up in the morning with anxiety and feeling like complete shit. And that is what keeps me going. And that's what keeps me from never picking up a drink again, because I don't ever want to feel like that ever, ever again. So what did it for me? I struggled with not drinking until the day I realized that I didn't need to drink. And then I stopped struggling. That's awareness right there. Yeah. I, I don't need to drink. Consequently, I don't I don't have any of those thoughts because I've rewritten that little bit of understanding somewhere within me. I don't need to drink. And um, there's awareness. There's waking up to truth. I think key to what we've talked about, there are numerous players on stage. There's drinking, there's us, there's our thoughts. There's three players right there. There's the activity, there's the thinking, there's us. And when you are trapped in drinking, those three things just become one. And it's about peeling them apart. So you realize that, oh, my action is actually, it doesn't have to, I don't have to act out the thought. There's, let's pull the action and the thought apart. And, oh, I am not my thoughts. Actually, I don't need to have that thought. And there you've got the three things. And there's only one which is authentic and real, and that is us. I am. I am. And what I'm not is, I'm not that action of drinking, and I'm not those thoughts that say life is better drinking. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about dragging those three things apart, dissecting, because we've got mixed into a a munge. Like a child painting, they've got the lovely red paint, they've got the green one. How long is it before it's all chocolate brown? Brown. Yeah, that's us drinking chocolate brown. 
But we need to separate out the bits, see them as different, and then we can jettison the ones that don't serve us. It's about choice. It's about realizing you have a choice. And when you're a drinker, you don't realize you have a choice on which thoughts or what you are going to believe. Like we glamorize alcohol, we romanticize it. Like Duncan said, we identify, I'm a drinker. That's just who I am. I remember struggling with that. I remember letting that go and actually grieving that part of me and crying and letting her go. So it can be done. It was a choice I made. And I think that's the beauty, right? Like actually knowing that I get to choose which thoughts are going to occupy my brain and which ones I'm going to say, "Hmm, no, that's not really in alignment with who I am and who I want to be and let those thoughts go. Not talking about never thinking again or never not doing any action. It's just managing them, separating them out. Here's another thing, another great one. Thoughts make a brilliant servant, but a terrible master. I'm bad at hypothesizing about awful scenarios because I think, well, I'll be ready then if it happens. But actually, who wants to have a brain full of dramatic catastrophe? So on that one, think of thoughts as things that happen to you rather than you have them. Instead of thinking you create them, think I attract them. And this is where themes of consciousness really becomes quite interesting to look at. So if you are trapped in a theme of consciousness that is, say, angry, wounded theme of consciousness, you're going to attract, imagine you're surrounded by an infinite number of thoughts, happy, lovely, angry, you know, your anger will attract like energy, everything is energy. So if you are angry, you're putting out a vibe, you are going to be attracting thoughts that align with that vibe, you're going to get violent thoughts, you're going to get mischievous thoughts, because you are angry. If you were operating like the Dalai Lama, or maybe he's not the best one to pick, but you know, somebody operating out of a theme of love consciousness, you're going to be attracting thoughts of generosity, of giving, of pleasing, you know. And we've got so many themes that we can operate out of. So if one thinks, oh, the worst is going to happen, maybe you're operating out of a theme of loss, where you kind of, you just think, I'm going to lose everything, everything, or, or it's not even going to come to me. It's just going to stop just before I get, to, they're going to run out just as I get to the front of the queue, that sort of thing, or uh, nothing good ever happens to me. You know, these are thoughts that operate out of themes, lower themes of consciousness. I'm ugly. No one likes me. No one will ever like me. I'm boring. You know, these are themes of consciousness that are low level. They are lack and they attract thoughts of lack. Whereas if you can move yourself out of that broken theme of consciousness to some of the more productive ones, you know, you will be attracting brave thoughts and optimistic thoughts and building thoughts and joyous thoughts and party thoughts and dancey thoughts and lovey thoughts without effort. But the effort is put in by, and this is where consciousness comes in, by shining a light. How am I made up? Because we started getting made up by thoughts when we were born, when we were two, when we were one. How good were we at thinking? Our thoughts, they have no potential to create. They operate out of its own experience. And of course, the older we get, the more experienced. When we're young, we go, oh, one plus one, that equals six. And we store that away. And if we don't root it out, we will use that one plus one equals six. And we will look at it, look out through that filter sometimes. You know, one plus one equals six equals, I've got no friends. No one likes me. I'm unlovable. And then we get into adult life. We don't know we've got that one plus one equals six tucked away there. But we walk into meetings. We walk into parties expecting not to be liked. We're going to fake it till we make it. We're going to push ourselves through because we're strong people. But underneath that, we've got a voice, a 
thought that's that's undermining us and sabotaging our efforts. And if we can shine the light of consciousness onto that thought, and this is where therapy comes, this is where we do the inner work, and we root it out, we rewrite that little bit of software with my 61-year-old brain that goes, no, 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 one plus one equals two. And suddenly I walk into the party expecting to be liked thinking I'm interesting, I'm going to make friends tonight. Everything's changed because I've changed my conscious level, which isn't easy because you've got to ferret this stuff out and it's always going to be difficult to get to. Well, I certainly understand more about this now. And actually the way he's just finished makes so much sense. And it links to everything else in life you hear about changing your mindset, being positive, doing the power pose before you go on stage, all that kind of stuff that's about approach it with a positive attitude. People can tell like attracts like, you know, all that stuff. And that I get, I totally get. There is so much to unpick in this conversation. I think I could get a notebook and listen back on like slow speed and just spend a day making notes. But I do think I understand, but I think there's a lot more to understand. Now you have done research into this. If I said, and actually I am saying, I want to find out more about this, but I am not the kind of person who can delve into a 600 page book about a topic like this, what would you recommend? No, I've thought a lot about this conversation since we've had it. And I've read a lot of books. I do a lot of Audible because sitting and reading a book sometimes just doesn't fit into my schedule. So it's more like when I'm out on my walks, I digest. Because I also feel like when you're moving your body and you're listening to a book that is like information based, right? You're trying to learn a new skill or you're trying to like take in information. For me, I feel like my subconscious actually takes information and processes it better if my body is moving. So that's just one tip, you know, podcasts, books. I'm going to go over some books that I found very useful and I'll also include them in the show notes. But meditating, you know, there's so many free meditations on YouTube. It can almost be overwhelming. So for me, I would get very specific on the type of meditating I want to do. I don't know anything about meditating. So I would like to be specific. But if I just put beginner meditation, am I going to get a million hits? You probably would get a million hits, but you could get more detailed as in like beginner meditation for a distracted mind or Mm. beginner meditation for wanting to improve my focus or beginner meditation for wanting to heal inner child. There's so many. It's whatever you want to focus on or whatever you feel like you're caught up on. Like if you have this narrative in your head that you know is holding you back and it's not in alignment, but it's stuck in there because somewhere down the line, someone told you this and you believed it because they believed it. And that's where we sometimes get stuck because then we we're like, yeah, but it doesn't feel right. So you got to go back and you got to unravel that. And meditations are like one of the best ways. And like I said, they're free on YouTube and there's so many good ones. And I don't, you just sit and meditate like with, with music because how can you have the different, Oh, so you listen to someone talking. Yes. And they, I have no idea. Yes. And they guide you through it and they tell you what to do. It's amazing. They tell you to focus on your breath. They get you to a state of relaxation. So I suggest doing it somewhere where you can like be comfortable. I like to meditate laying down because I get like neck creaks if I sit up because I get that relaxed where my head kind of falls forward. So like make sure you're in a really comfortable position. 
And yeah, you can do 10 minute, 15 minute. I've done up to 30 minute, but I never do unguided. My brain will not allow me to just, so the guided just keeps me on, like think like on the tracks, like on the rail, because that's the type of brain I have. And I know you and I are very similar in that. So those have been great because it helps you. Cool. And what about some books then? Do you, have you got like three favorites, for example? Yeah, I would say my top three are The Inner Work, and that is by Matt and Ash. That one is, I would say it's a little more spiritual. So if you're a spiritual person, you'll connect with it. There's another book called The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. It's the same concept as the inner work, just there's not spirituality in it. So that one I had a hard time with because I got to have a little woo-woo in my life. And like, (laughs) so I've done both, but I couldn't get through the untethered soul. But I feel like, Kate, the untethered soul would be perfect for you because it's very like straightforward. One of the things that, (laughs) yeah, like one of the things that stands out from the untethered soul is he talks about that inner voice being like a roommate. Like say you have, you live with someone And they're just really cruel to you all the time. Like they say, you know, you look ugly or, you know, they're always like really mean to you. Well, think about your inner voice that does that. You know, if you lived with someone like that, you would move out. You wouldn't want to be around them. But yet we allow a voice like that to live rent free in our brain. And so it was like that really helped me realize that there is a disconnect. Like you can disconnect from that and you can say, no, we're not talking like that to ourselves. So that one's like really good about like just connecting and like disconnecting and figuring all that out. And then if you want to get real deep, (laughs) Eckhart Tolle, New Earth and The Power of Now. Those are super, super spiritual and really, really deep, but they're really good. I wouldn't suggest starting with those. I would suggest starting with the meditating, you know, doing the untethered soul and one more. And I'm reading it right now for the second time. And this one's called The Mountain Is You. And it's all about transforming self-sabotage. So it's all about recognizing how you sabotage yourself with your thoughts. And it's by Brianna Weist. So I will put all these in the show notes. But like I said, The Mountain Is You is a book that I will read once a year. It's one of those like every time you read. Yeah, every time you read it, if you're in a different place, it'll hit different. You know, it'll like go to a different Have you listened to that one on Audible? Because I'm an Audible addict. I'm going to do this stuff and I will report back because I had like literally I didn't understand that meditation. I thought you put music on and you lay down and try to shut your brain off. No. That's what I thought meditation was. So the thought of having someone to focus on, I could do that. Yeah. Definitely. And the fact you can get some that are specific to something you want to work on that's actually really excited me because I have wanted to meditate for years because my sister does it and I've just thought every time I try it's ridiculous but that is a whole different thing and actually I think I could do that the best time to do it is first thing in the morning or right before bed the subconscious is very alert at those times so those are the best times and honestly Kate what I know about you with your imagination, you're like the best person for meditating, believe it or not, especially these guided meditations, because they give you these visuals. And it's just, it's amazing. You feel so refreshed. You feel so different. Your outlook, you look at things differently. It's just so transformative. Right. I'm off. I'm going to go meditate. Thanks for tuning in. We're just two women from opposite sides of the pond, striving to shed light on the negative impacts of alcohol. Quick heads up. We're not licensed therapists or doctors. If alcohol is seriously affecting your mental or physical health, seek professional help.
And don't forget to hit that follow button to catch all of our future episodes. If you think our podcast could make a difference to someone you know, share the love. And hey, leaving a five-star review will really help The Sober Effect reach more fantastic people like you. So thank you. 